0: Thank you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Tom Wing. I'm one of the team of pastors here. And uh, we're going to be moving on in in Exodus. Today we're in Exodus chapter 34, uh, verses 29 through 35. We're going to be talking about living in God's presence today. And then we're also going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. Excuse me. So Exodus 34, beginning in verse 29, reads like this. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded... The people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Also, we're going to read Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7-18. through Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Would you pray with me this morning? Almighty God, we worship you. We thank you, God, for who you are and all that you have done for us, God. We gather together this morning to praise your name. We thank you, God, for the scripture that you have given us, Father. Lord, we come under your word this morning and ask, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, guide us into the truth this morning. Father, I pray that you would help me to preach with a confidence that comes only from you, God, with a boldness that comes only from you. Lord, as we See your glory today, we would be drawn to you, God. We want to know better who you are and understand what you've done for us, God, so that we can know who we are in you, Father. Lord, I pray open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds this morning, God, to see you better. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> Excuse me, well, th- that text that we just read in-, in 2 Corinthians is really kind of a, a commentary on Exodus chapters 32 thirty four that we've been in for the last couple of weeks. And in Exodus 32 through 34, we see God's response to the Israelites breaking their promise to keep God's law. And if we go back a little bit, we'll see that on Moses' first trip up Mount Sinai, God made a covenant with the Israelites. And here's God's message in, in Exodus chapter 19. He says, Now therefore, if... You will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God's promise to his people. And the Israelites' response to God, we read about in Exodus 24, and they respond to God and say, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. Fast forward a little bit, and Moses is back on Mount Sinai, receiving the Ten Commandments. And while he's up there, meanwhile, back at the camp, the Israelites are building a golden calf to worship. And they're frustrated. Where's Moses? What's he doing? We need something to worship. And so they make this calf, thus breaking the first two commandments That they haven't even read yet because Moses hasn't got back down the mountain with them. (laughs) You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make any idols. And so before Moses even gets back, they've broken the covenant with God. God, we will do all that you have said and we will be obedient. And then they make a calf. And so there are consequences breaking the covenant with God, namely that God would withdraw his presence from them. And the reason that God calls Moses up to the mountain and the reason for the tent of meeting that's outside the camp where Moses would go to meet with God is because a perfectly holy, perfectly just God cannot dwell in the midst of imperfect, unjust, sinful, rebellious people. He would destroy them if he did. And God told them that. In Exodus 33, he says, I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way. And so God kept his distance from them as an act of grace and mercy so that he wouldn't destroy them. Last week, we saw Moses pleading with God for his presence. God, don't, don't take your presence from us. We'll never make it, God, unless you're with us. And Moses is pleading God, don't leave us to ourselves. And so God God promises Moses that he'll grant his request, and he confirms it to Moses on the mountain when he shows him his glory. And God renews the covenant with the Israelites. And then he sends Moses back down the mountain with a fresh copy of the words of the covenant as a reminder to his people of his promise. And so we've we've seen this experience probably three or four times now in our study of Exodus where Moses goes up to the mountain to talk with God. I just want to give you kind of a, a glimpse of what this experience must have been like. Put yourself in their shoes. Imagine you are there at the base of that mountain. And listen to this from Exodus chapter 19. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now imagine you're there. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. lest they break through, lest they try to come up the mountain to look, and many of them perish. Can you imagine if you're there and, and you see and experience all this? I, I would be a little fearful about going up that mountain after all that. Wouldn't you? And this last time, down the mountain, though, we see just how badly God wants relationship with his people and we see just how badly God wants to be present with them because this time there's something different about Moses when he returns his face is shining with the glory of glory of God and it freaked the Israelites out a little bit and so Moses puts a veil over his face to to shield them from from the glow of God's glory that's on his face Moses didn't know it, but God had, had turned him glorious. He'd been in the, God's presence, and it transformed his countenance. He looked different. And so t- today we want to look at the effects of being in the presence of God. And as we look at the account of, of Moses' shining face, I, I hope that we'll be affected by, by the glory of God, by who God is. That we'll be affected by the glory of, of God's mediator that he sent, by the, by the glory of God's people and by the glory of god's gospel good news so first i want to look at the glory of god this morning moses shining face shows us that god is glorious you know moses had been in the presence of god before we know that but this trip up the, up the mountain was a little bit different than others something was different about their their conversation because on this trip moses asked god please god show me your glory I want to see who you are. And and God did. He granted him his request, at least in as much as as Moses could handle. And you might remember that we we discussed this a little bit last week, and I want to read just a, a portion of that text from last week. God and Moses are conversing here in Exodus chapter 33. Listen to this. God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, Moses, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, Moses, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, Moses. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, Moses. And you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And so we get kind of a, a picture here of, of what it's like for God to display his glory, for him to show his glory. Moses, I, I, don't, I don't pretend that, that I could fully describe or, or define what God's glory is. But we're going to take a, a kind of a stab at it today. We're going to attempt the impossible here. If you are around last week, you might recall that Matt Nix broke down uh, for us the Hebrew word kabod. And that word is rendered glory in the Bible. It means abundance, riches, weight, or importance. As I was thinking about this, I thought, okay, when God covers Moses in, in that text that we just read, what is, what is God shielding Moses from? Moses, you stand right there. I'm going to cover you as I as I pass by because if I don't cover you, Moses, you'll you'll die. What's God shielding him from? Well, I think that God is, is shielding an, an unholy man from his perfect holiness and his perfect justice. Listen, God's God's holiness is this. I think if we we're if we we're going to try to define God's holiness, it's God's intrinsic worth. His inexpressible, indescribable majesty, power, and perfection. And when, when that, when who God is, when that is proclaimed, when that's made public, then the scripture calls that God's glory. All of who God is on display. It, it's kind of like in, in Moses' experience. Moses, this is me in all my splendor and majesty. That's my glory. Let me show you what I mean with, with another verse in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 6. And and in Isaiah, he's having this vision of of the Lord in heaven. And Isaiah's watching these as these two angels are calling out back and forth to one another in in the heavenly place. And the scripture reads like this in Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, the the angels he's talking about. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, so these angels are shouting back and forth to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You see, these angels have have observed God, right? They've experienced who he is. They're in the presence of God. They know him. And they're declaring it throughout the heavens. This is who God is. And here's how they choose to describe him. God is holy. God is holy. God is holy. Because that's what best describes him. So, so, when the angels say God is holy, when they proclaim that for everyone to hear, then the whole earth is filled with His glory. So, the riches, the weight of God's glory is His holiness. God is holy. And we see this as God shows Moses His glory because He's got to protect Moses from His perfect holiness. So, Moses. God, just a a glimpse of the glory of God because it was all that he could handle and live. In in our text today, God is keeping his promise to his people that he will be present with them. He's doing it by, by giving them just a glimpse of his glory in the face of Moses. What God does here shows his care, shows his grace and his mercy toward his people because he approaches them with a veiled glory. Verse, 40, or verse 30 rather says this, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Why, why were they afraid? Could be that the, the reason the Israelites were initially afraid was because when they saw the glorious glow of, of Moses' face, they knew that it was God's glory and that indicated that God was present with them. They also knew that God had previously said that he could not be among them or he would consume them. So God says, I, I can't, my presence can't be among you or I'll consume you. And now they see the glory of God on the face of Moses and they know God's present. There's reason to be fearful. God may consume us. Ed Dennett says, says this about this text, because the very glory that shone upon His face upon Moses' face searched their hearts and consciences, being that they were sinners and unable of themselves to meet even the smallest requirements of the covenant, which had now been inaugurated. The glory which they thus beheld upon the face of Moses was the expression to them of the holiness of God. They were therefore afraid because they knew in their inmost souls that they could not stand before him from whose presence Moses had come. I love how God works, though he's, he's so awesome. I, I love how He works this dilemma out for them. God appears to Moses, and He allows Moses to reflect his glory, and we see God's grace in this toward His people. He's protecting the Israelites just as He shielded Moses from the fullness of his glory on the mountain. Second Corinthians tells us that the glory was, was just temporary and that we, it would fade from Moses' face. And then it would be refreshed every time that he went back into the presence of God without the veil on. So then Moses would come back out and he would speak to the people without his face covered, displaying God's glory so the people would know that God was indeed with them. And then he would put the veil back on his face after he was done speaking to God's people. How cool is that, that God wants to be present with his people so badly that he'll, he'll veil his own glory and show them a reflection of it in Moses' face just so they can know that, that, that he's with them. I'm with you. And God uses Mo, as God uses Moses to, to veil his glory, we see the, the glory of, of God's mediator. We've, we've seen God reveal his glory all throughout Exodus and the salvation of sinful people, right? In in the burning bush experience where he he tells Moses, go go back to Egypt. I'm going to use you to to lead my people, the Israelites, out of captivity. In Egypt, as he, he brings one of the greatest nations of that time to their knees and he sets his people free from over 400 years of captivity at the Red Sea where he miraculously parts the water so the Israelites can go across and then brings the water back on Pharaoh's army and destroys them in the wilderness as God miraculously provides and sustains his people. And there on on the mountain, in the fire and the smoke and the thunder that we just read about, we see the glory of God on display. But God reveals his glory in our text today in a little bit different way. He reveals it through a mediator, through Moses. And so Moses we've talked about previously throughout our series in Exodus about Moses as as God's mediator, but this time God is actually displaying his glory through Moses. Moses' face was visibly glorious, and it wasn't just a a one-time occurrence. Every time Moses was in God's presence, he would come out with a recharged, glorious, glowing countenance. And so when Moses acted as God's mediator. He was glorified. And this was like God's way of authenticating the words that were spoken through Moses. I'm present with you. He's speaking for me. See my glory. And God hasn't changed his ways. He still relates to us through a mediator. The Israelites saw the glory of God in, in the face of Moses and we get to see the glory of God in the face of our mediator, Jesus. John 1.14 It says, in the word, it's talking about Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And God authenticated the the ministry of Jesus in much the same way as he did with Moses. Jesus performed many miracles and he spoke the words of God. And there's even an instance in, in the Gospels where Jesus takes a few of his disciples up on a mountain, and he's transfigured in front of them. The scripture says, and and Jesus' face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Sounds kind of like our text, right? The disciples saw the glory of God in the face of of Jesus right before him, but there's something different about the two mediators. Moses displayed just a reflection of, of the glory of God, while Jesus, Hebrews tells us, is the radiance of the glory of God. See that the reflection on Moses' face was just temporary; it was it was fading away. And the old covenant—it was meant to teach them—the old covenant of the law was temporary and fading away. 2 Corinthians tells us that the Israelites they saw that the glory of Moses' face was fading. It was meant. To show them that there was a greater glory, much greater than Moses and much greater than the covenant that was being brought to an end, while the radiance of the glory of God in Jesus is displayed permanently for all time. So after seeing Jesus transfigured, the disciples they knew that he was, he was their mediator, He was the greater glory that they were looking for. He was the only one who could perfectly keep the law and he was the fulfillment of that new covenant they could see it in his glorious face on the mountain and because it was confirmed by god's word to them and god says this is my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased listen to him and the glory of Jesus was revealed to an even, even greater degree in his, in his resurrection. Near the, near the end of his life on the earth, Jesus asks God to restore his glory. In John 17, he says, I glorified you on earth, Father, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And then God answers Jesus' request by raising him from the dead. Jesus' resurrection authenticated his ministry as our mediator. It proved that he was indeed the Savior and the Lord that he said he was.
1: Romans 1.4
0: says, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power. How? It goes on to say, by his resurrection from the dead. So when we, through faith believe that Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, he he kept the law perfectly, he died a sacrificial death, and he was resurrected, we see the shining glory of our mediator. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that's for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So because, because Moses was, the first mediator, he points us to the greater glory, salvation found in Jesus Christ. But Moses also teaches us something about ourselves, and that brings us to the glory of God's people. You see, even though Moses was a mediator, he was just still a man like us and a sinful man like us. And we can find great hope in the shining face of Moses. We learn from him that God is able to glorify sinners. Anyone who approaches God in faith comes away glorious. David said in the Psalms, Psalm 34, 5, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This verse shows us it's possible for us to shine with the glory of God. In fact, we were made, we were made to reflect the glory of God. And it's important to, to note something about Moses' experience with God. Check this out in verse 29, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Moses was so focused on God, so consumed with being in God's presence, he didn't even know that the skin of his face was shining when he came back down the mountain. So Moses reflected God's glory when he took his eyes off himself and when he focused on the majesty of who God is. Remember, David said those who look to him are radiant. It's, as I study this week, I, I begin to think it, it's so easy to focus on ourselves and to get caught up in kind of a, a performance-based approach or a, or, a, or a comparison-based approach to Christianity. And th- this is what I mean. When I say performance-based, it's, it's easy to look at ourselves, to see how we're doing spiritually, kind of checking off the spiritual boxes and making sure that I look and that I sound and that I act like a Christian, but the danger is that I can become so focused on myself that I lose sight of Jesus. It's only through Jesus that we can reflect the glory of God anyway. I I don't want our Christianity, as I was thinking this week, I thought, man, that's kind of like the guy at the gym who's always looking in the mirror at himself, right, always checking himself out in the mirror, and I I see those guys, and I think, dude, if you just spend some, some, Less time in the mirror and more time with the weights. Maybe you would see the growth, the the results that you're looking for. Don't let your gauge for, for spiritual maturity be, how is my spiritual appearance doing today? Work out a little bit. Let some time spent with God in the scriptures. Let some fellowship, let some prayer build you up. Secondly, a comparison-based approach, and I I definitely, definitely struggle with this one. It's easy to be consumed with how we look to others. It's easy for me to become more concerned about what others think than what God thinks. Or or we compare ourselves to others thinking, "I'm, I'm more spiritual or I'm less spiritual based on how I measure up to someone else. I remember a few years ago I read a book called uh, When People Are Big, Then God Is Small. The whole lesson of of the book is that we can idolize what people think of us and allow what others think to be the measure of our Christianity, our spirituality. Instead of performing for others or comparing ourselves to others, we should look to Jesus. The the scripture says as the author and the finisher of of our faith and trust that he who began the work of faith and promised that he'll complete it. If he's the Lord of the beginning and, and the Lord of the end, we can trust him that he'll carry us through the part between the beginning and the end. And that'll bring it to completion. Trusting God looks like spending time with him. And it's, it's interesting to me to note that the only time that Moses' face shined is when he had been in God's presence. And eventually the glory began to fade away and Moses needed repeated exposure to God because he was the source of glory. And we can learn something from Moses here. One of my favorite verses in this Second Corinthians text is verse 18. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, and that's in Jesus, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The more we behold the glory of the Lord, the more we're transformed. And that glory comes from Jesus. And you you want to be gloriously transformed? Get to know Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. If you look back in Exodus 34, we see Moses' response to his experience of the glory of God on the mountain. And it teaches us something about how we should respond. In Exodus 34, verses 8 and 9, this is after God revealed himself to Moses. And remember, he covered Moses. And this is what Moses said. And this is how he responds. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. I want to point out just a few things. In Moses' response, repentance, worship, and community. First of all, repentance. God, pardon. Pardon our iniquity and and our sin, God. Repentance draws us near to God because it highlights our need for his saving grace. Lord, I'm I'm sinful. Help me. Pardon me. Second, worship. Moses' immediate response to God's presence, was to bow his head and to worship. All all of our lives should look like worship. I encourage you, ask God, what does it look like for me to to worship you in every area of my life? What does it look like for me to worship you with my career? What does it look like for me to worship you as as a parent, as a spouse, God? What does it look like for me to worship you in my singleness, What does it look like for me to worship you with my money, with my time, with the gifts and the abilities that you've given me, God? You see, worship, it draws us near to God because it exalts God and it submits all that we have to him. It says, nothing is more important than you. When I say that I want to worship God with my time, it means that my time is surrendered to God. And when I worship God with the things, that, with the things he's given me, it, it's less likely that, I, that I'll worship the things that he's given me because they're surrendered to him. Worship really is it's an admission that nothing, nothing else will satisfy me, God, but you alone, nothing else. And therefore, I surrender all these things to you. How can I worship you with them? And finally, community. Moses asks God, he pleads with him, God, don't take your presence from us. Be in the midst of us, God. He's essentially asking God, be the centerpiece of this community, God. He realizes that that gathering together is important, but it's only glorious when God's at the center. And our community is, is only glorious when Christ is at the center of it. We place a high value on community. And we believe that healthy growth in Christ takes place within Christ centered community. All of these things are spiritual disciplines that are a healthy response to our experience of the glory of God. God, I see who you are. God, I see all that you have done for me. And I want to repent, God. I want to worship you. I want to be in community so that I can grow. Theologian Lawrence Richards says, Jesus is not revealed in some supposed human perfection, but rather in our progressive transformation. It is not see how good I am that witnesses to the reality of Jesus, but see what God is doing in such a sinner. And so we can find great hope in the shining face of Moses because we learn that God is able to glorify sinners. And God's glory is reflected brightly as, as our lives are transformed as the scripture says, from one degree of glory to another. You know, when we see that happen in our lives, we're seeing a gospel transformation in our lives, and that brings us to the glory of God's gospel. That's the last point of discussion. As we reread a portion of this text, I want you to notice something. Notice the comparison that's drawn between the law of Moses or the old covenant and the gospel of of jesus christ or or the new covenant second corinthians chapter 3 verses 7 through 11 now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone that's the old covenant or the law of moses if it came with such glory that the israelites could not gaze at moses face because of its glory which was being brought to an end will not the ministry of the spirit have even more glory the glory of God's gospel. First is the death and life comparison. Our text calls the law of Moses the ministry of death. Because the law says obey me or pay with your life. But here's what's cool. Paul can say that the law is glorious. Even though it's called the ministry of death. Because, the law is, because it's serving its purpose. It was meant... To bring men to a knowledge of their sin and their hopelessness. That's why Moses pleaded with God for his presence to be, to be among them. And why he, he repented seeking God's pardon for their sins. He knew that without him they were doomed. He knew they, would, they could never keep the law. The law showed them their guilt and it created a, a sense of longing for redemption. Redemption. Galatians 3.24 tells us the law's purpose was to be a schoolmaster or a guardian to, to bring us to Christ, to show us our need for. It. And if looking at your sin in the mirror of God's law doesn't lead you to Jesus, I don't know what will. Second Corinthians 3.6 says, the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. The old covenant law called for, for an external obedience to the law. But the new covenant brought about an internal transformation through the work of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit Spirit gives us life by transforming our hearts and, and producing in us a new desire to obey God's commands. And a new ability to obey God's commands given us by His Spirit. Second, condemnation and righteousness comparison the glory that the Israelites saw in Moses' face was fading, was fading away. And it showed them that the law was being brought to an end because it, it could not bring final salvation. It could not make anyone righteous before a holy God. You remember, God, God couldn't dwell in the midst of his people because he was perfectly holy and, and righteous, and they weren't. And so he had to withdraw his presence. You see, the, the law can't, can't give us that perfect righteousness that we need to stand before god what the law does is it shows us our lack our lack of righteousness and it causes us to seek for for another source of perfect righteousness philippians 3 tells us where that can be found it says and be be found in him be found in jesus not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law that's impossible i can't pull off perfect obedience to the law but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so when when Jesus stood in in the place of sinners like, like me and like you on the cross, he took our guilt, he bore our inability to keep the law, and he gave us his perfect righteousness. And so by faith in Jesus, we stand before God the Father, and he sees that perfect righteousness of Jesus in place of my unrighteousness. And I I move from being a condemned sinner to a a righteous son. And it's not a fading righteousness. Our text says it has permanent, permanent glory. Augustine said the law is only a step to glory. The gospel is the summit of glory. Finally, we'll close with this limited and unlimited access comparison. The Israelites had a relationship with God, but it was at a distance. They had had to stay off of God's holy mountain. They had had to stay out of the the tent of meeting or the the holy place. And they had to to look away from God's glory on the face of Moses. And their sin created a barrier between them and God. And they only had access to God through Moses, their mediator. And they got to see only a, a fading reflection of the glory of God. We also access God through our mediator, Jesus. But since Jesus is God, when, when we look at Jesus, we have direct, unlimited access to God. And that's why our text says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. You see, in Exodus, we've, we've watched the Israelites approached God and they they would give animal sacrifices showing that the wages of sin is indeed death and and a life had to be given for the forgiveness of sins. And then Moses would cleanse himself and enter the tent of meeting where there was a veil that separated everyone else from the presence of God. Only Moses or or the priest could go into the holy place. Only only they could be in the presence of God and, and meet with God so there was this distant, limited relationship. When Jesus died on that cross, the Bible tells us that the veil in the temple was torn in two. And the presence of God is no longer veiled to us. It's now fully accessible. Because the perfect sacrifice of Jesus was made once for all time. And by faith in Jesus, we're brought into the presence of God. And unveiled, we get to behold the glory of God. In the face of Jesus Christ. I'll close with this. Philip, Philip Graham Ryken says this, when we see God as he is, we become like what he is. It is by being with Jesus that we become like him. And the more we are with him, the more like him we become. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for making yourself known, your, your glorious self-known Lord. We praise you this morning, Lord. We surrender our hearts to you right now, Heavenly Father. Um, we want to know you more. I pray if there's anyone here this morning that that doesn't know you, God, that the veil would be removed from their eyes, that they may see you in all your glory, God, and and be drawn, their heart would be drawn to you, Father. That the the veil of their heart would be torn in two, God, and they would clearly see who you are and all that you've done from God. And that their heart would be captivated by you. They would see their, their need for Jesus' righteousness. Father, and they would respond by surrendering their heart to you today.